Well, good evening. I do have a pencil. I was looking for a pen before I have to write something down, make sure I don't forget it. And I was thinking earlier, you know, it's like, man, I hope I don't do anything different so they think I'm trying to change things. But then I realized I haven't been to Wednesday night in a year because I'm always on the other side. So if I do something different, I'm sorry. But open your Bibles to Romans 12. Romans 12. Tonight's Bible studies message will be your reasonable service at, through Romans chapter 12. Let's pray and we'll get started. Dear God, I thank you for today, God. I thank you for your Bible. I thank you for that we can, that we can study it and learn something new each and every time we study it. God, I thank you for just speaking to me in my devotional time. And I just I thank you for this passage that you've shown me, God. It's really one of my favorite passages. There's just so much here, God, that we can look into. And I pray you just... Help us now as we just uh, do an oversight, a summary of this chapter, and I pray you'd help me just be able to uh, preach the message that you've given me, God, that it would be a blessing to those here, and I pray you'd bless them for coming to church tonight and making church a priority and making prayer a priority at prayer meeting, and God, I pray that we would just get a hold of you tonight. God, I thank you for all you do for us. God, I thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Romans chapter 12. In verse 1, we'll read the whole chapter, 21 verses. In Romans chapter 12, it says some very familiar verses that you may even have memorized. It says, But I seat you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect Will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts deferring according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth uh, on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, and he that ruleth with diligence, um, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, and cleave to that which is good, be kindly affectioned one towards another, in, with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in speech, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy a hunger, feed him. And if he thirst, give him drink. For in doing, for so doing, thou shalt reap 
thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head, and be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So there's a lot in that passage, and I love that chapter, and I love how uh, Paul just kind of shotguns a bunch of different, just really good different advice for us to follow. So for some introductory thoughts, at the first college I went to, if you know, if, if you don't know, I went to two different colleges, mostly just to be closer to home and whatnot, and God led me to a different college. But my first college, their, their motto, their slogan for their college was, life is for service. And if you graduate from that college, if you go to that college for all four years, they give you a servant's mantle that you can kind of hang up in your office or wherever you, know, you end up after you graduate. But they really dug that deep into my heart and to my soul is that reality is, is that the Christian life is for service. And when I say it's for service, it means that you know, life is for others. I remember in my, my other college, they used to tell us that, you know, life isn't about you. Life is about God and people. And that's the reality, and that's what I want to uh, give you this thought, is your reasonable service. After all that God has done for you, it is only reasonable for us to serve him. If we really think about how much God has given us and how much God has blessed us and, and how good God has been to us, it's reasonable for us to serve him. Now, we may not like the thing that God gives us to do for him, whatever it may be, but they say, you know you're a servant is how you act when you're treated like one. And that's true. The reality is that, you know, being in the ministry, I have a lot of different jobs, and there's some jobs that maybe I like doing more than others. But, you know, if Pastor says, hey, Anthony, you know, I need you to, you know, go paint this, you know, not my favorite job. My wife, on the other hand, loves painting. But the reality is there's, you know, I would do it with a servant's heart. I said, you know, I, I would love to do it. So how you act when you're asked to do something is, is when someone asks you to do something a servant would do, how you act is to show your heart. And then lastly, what are you called to do? So each and every one of us are called to do different things, whether, you know, whatever ministry God has put you in, or they say, you know, your first ministry is your family, your family is your first ministry. You say, Anthony, well, with all the restrictions, and we don't have a lot of ministries, and you know, I miss being in the choir, and I do too, and I, I miss my Sunday school class or whatever ministry you were involved in that, you know, pretty soon you're going to be able to get back involved in. But besides all of that, your first ministry is your family. So God has you there to serve them in whatever capacity. So let's look at this thought. There's four different points here for us for our reasonable service. Your first is service explained. Now, for better words, I may have used different words, but I like to keep them all alliterated for you. Service explained. And we'll look at verses 1 through 3 for that. And the first point there is a living sacrifice. You see in verse 1 it says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So the reality is, is that in the Old Testament we know how it works, is that you know, the, they would have to go to a priest and the priest would sacrifice for somebody and then uh, for that person and that person's sins would be atoned or the wrong that they did would be atoned because of the sacrifice that the priest would make. Well, now that we're in the New Testament, we're in the New Covenant, it's called in Ezekiel chapter 36, the reality is, is that we don't need to go and make sacrifices to the priests and we ourselves are the living sacrifice. And, and when, the, when they say when, you know, when the fire gets hot, don't jump off the altar because God has a lot of things planned for you, but we are a living sacrifice, so can stay and continually be a sacrifice. If you look in, I'll just read it in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, that verse there talks about when Paul says, I die daily. You know, when I think of that verse, when I read that verse, I think to myself, Anthony, whatever you want to do, 
Die to yourself and do what God wants you to do. And a lot of times it'll line up. You know, God will say, Anthony, do this. And I say, okay, great, that sounds good, and I'm looking forward to it. But there's some times where it's like, well, I have this plan, and God has a different plan, and I have to die to myself and do what God wants me to do. And that's the I die daily. That's the living sacrifice of the Christian life is not doing always what we want to do, but doing what God wants us to do. So first, when we think about a living sacrifice, uh, your next point, your next fill-in under there is holy. What does holy mean? Well, the holy just simply means without blemish. The Bible says, be holy even as I am holy there in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. You know, when they, would do, when they would have a sacrifice in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice different animals, they would use a lamb that was without blemish. They would use a perfect lamb. And we know that Jesus is a picture of that when Jesus died for our sins and he never sinned before. And that's a picture of him being holy and without blemish. And that's what we should strive to be. You say, Anthony, well, I can't be perfect. I know that, but the Bible says to be perfect even as I am perfect. So they used, uh, Brother Charlie used to say all the time in Bible college, he said, Anthony, you know, we didn't say Anthony, it was more of in a class setting, but he said, I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to be. And that's really what our lives should be, is that we know we're not perfect, but we should strive to be perfect. Every time we mess up or do something wrong, that should be, okay, well, I missed the mark. I need to ask God to forgive me and strive to be closer and closer to him. I should strive to be perfect, to be holy, because, you know, we as Christians... We need to be holy. That, you know, we need to be like Christ, and Christ is holy. But not only holy, but acceptable. <clears throat> when I think of acceptable, I think of clean. Uh, they, would never, they wouldn't use a dirty sacrifice. They would make sure it's a perfect, clean lamb. And we as Christians, if we're going to be living sacrifices, we have to be clean. Turn in your Bible to James chapter 4. James chapter 4 and verse 7. You'll be flipping around quite a bit tonight. Got Verses lined up for you. James chapter 4 and verse 7. It says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. That's one of the very few times in the New Testament that the Bible will refer to a saved person as a sinner. It will usually refer to him as a saint or you know whatever it may be, but... We, as Christians, still sin, unfortunately, and we know that. So what do we do when we sin? Well, we have to cleanse our hands. We have to be living sacrifices. Every time that we sin or we do something wrong, we need to confess that sin and become clean. So not only are we living sacrifices, but if you go back to Romans chapter 12, we see that we learn separation. What I mean by that in Romans chapter 12, and verse 2, it says, And be not conformed to this world... But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So learn separation. What I mean by that is that we need to be separate from the world. The Bible says in uh, 1 John 2.15 to love not the world. You know, the world has a lot of things that look good and that maybe even feel good or whatever it may be. But the reality is we are supposed to be different from the world. We're supposed to look different. We're supposed to act different. We're supposed to talk different. When somebody sees you, whether it's at your job site or at your family or whoever, even at church, you know, we should be different from the world. First, we see it should be a notable difference. I remember when I was at my, uh, my job at NVR, when I was building you know, the frames for houses or whatever it may be, they used to say I, it was so shocking to them that I don't curse. They're like, Anthony, you don't curse? Like, never once? I was like, no, I don't curse. Why would I have foul you know, language in my mouth? The Bible says that we should have 
that our mouths should be used to edification and all that. And, and they're like, it was just so shocking to them that I never cursed. But it was, a, it was a good testimony to them. But the reality is we should be different. We should have different language and we should have just a different way that we act. So not only a notable difference, but a new devotion. So we see that it says, be not conformed to this world. So we're, we're not supposed to be like the world, not supposed to love the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So a new devotion. So we're no longer following after the world, and now we're following after God. So our new devotion should be changed. We should be transformed. I think of that, uh, the movie or the show the kids like to watch, the Transformers forget which kid it was, but one of them just completely loved it. But the reality is, is that that's how we should be. We should be one way when we're following after the world, but we should be completely transformed when we follow after God. So how do we do that? Well, we see here in the right in the verse, it says, by the renewing of your mind. You know, we were talking about our, our thought life in youth group a couple weeks ago, and somebody made this quote to me, but I, and I love it. It stuck with me all these years, is that the biggest battles that you face are in your mind. They're not outside, they're not with a family member, they're not with your boss at work. No, the biggest battles you face are in your mind. Why? Because before you ever sin, you thought about sinning. And before you ever make a bad action or you say something you shouldn't, you thought about it first. So if we could just win that battle in our mind, we say, you know what, I'm going to determine in my mind that I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to say that, that's how we can be transformed. The Bible says in, I think it's, either 1st or 2nd Corinthians in chapter 10, that we bring every thought into the subjection, into the obedience of Christ. And the reality is, is that we have a lot of thoughts. Now, I say I probably have less than most of you, but the reality is that we throughout the day think a lot and we, we do a lot, especially in America and New Jersey. We're just go, go, go all the time. And, but we have to bring all of those thoughts into the subjection and obedience of Christ. So we have to have a new devotion. We have to do that or how by changing our thought life. And then next we have a lowly sobriety. Say, Anthony, what does that mean? I don't know, but it's alliterated. A lowly sobriety. What that means is that we need to be humble. In verse 3 it says, For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. So the reality is, is that I'm no better than any of you, and you're no better than, any, than me. The reality is, is that we're all just humans, we're all just Christians, trying to do our best to be more like Christ. So we should never get to a point where we say, man, I've made it, I'm better than this person, I'm better than that person. No, we all have our struggles, we all have things that we deal with, and we're all just trying to get closer to God. So when we get to a point where, like the verse says, that we shouldn't think of our health, ourselves more highly then we also think it comes to a point where we can get together as Christians in fellowship and help each other grow closer to God. So a lowly surprise, we should always be humble and help other people. In 1 Peter 5, 6, it talks, well, let's turn there. In 1 Peter, in 1 Peter 5, in verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So humbling ourselves, you know, humbling, uh, humility is the first thing that you need to have or the first qualification of God using you. Why? Because God says that he resists the proud. So God, if you want to be used of God, say, God, I want to be used of you. I'll do anything you want me to do, and that's great. And you, you want to be a living sacrifice, that's great too. But the reality is if you're prideful, God will look at you and say, oh, I, I can't use that one. 
Why? Because a prideful person will never give God glory. And God is not interested in somebody who's not going to give him glory. God's interested in somebody who does something great for him and says, man, I could have never done that. That's all God. And that's the type of person that God wants to use. I found this quote from St. Augustine. It says, do you wish to rise? Begin by descending. You plan a tower that will pierce the clouds? Lay first the foundations of humility. And the reality is, it's like the verse says, that if you want to be exalted and you want to be lifted up, well, you have to humble yourself. You know, the lower you go is the higher that God can lift you up. So if you say, okay, I'm, I'm humble, I'll do this, and, and then God uses you, and you're like, wow, I am pretty good. The reality is, well, God will have to humble you again. So the more humble you are, the more God can use you. So we have a, a service explained, and then we have service experience. If you look back into Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, in verses 4 through 8, it talks about the church and the different members and the first point, I see that we have one body, but many members. You see that right in verse 4, it says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. And the reality is, is that you're never, you know, you're not going to get up here and preach on Sunday. Why? Because, you know, that's pastor's job, and, you know, I fill in when I can, but obviously I'm not Pastor Weigel. But the reality is, is that Pastor Weigel will have definitely will have jobs that we won't have. It doesn't make us better or worse. And then in a different chapter, it'll talk about, you know, it's we're body of Christ. You can't, the, the eye is no better than the arm. They're both useful. They're both part of the body. You know, if you don't, you know, if you don't have a foot, it's going to be difficult to walk. Just like if you don't have an eye, it'd be difficult to see. Well, the problem is it's not that one is better than the other. It's just that we all have different jobs. And the Bible also talks about the lowly and the meek things to confound the wise. So whatever job that you have or God has given you, it's a very important job. So we all have many members, but we don't have all the same office. The church is the body of Christ. So the church is the body of Christ. The church is also an organism and an institution. What that means is that the Bible, the Bible, the church is a living organism. Why, why do we say that? Well, we know that the church is not this building. The church is the people. The church is, the church is everybody. The church is us, really, as believers getting together to meet with God and to talk about God and to pray for one another and to help one another wherever we need help. That is what the church is about. It's a living organism. But it's also an institution because God instituted the church and the family and we as the church are supposed to help people who need help. And the Bible says that the, the true religion and undefiled before God is to visit the, the widows and the fatherless in their affliction. And that's part of the church's job is to take care of widows and widowers. And it's part of the church's job to help people who are part of the church and believers. So the church is an organism and an institution. So there's one body but many members. We also see that there's one spirit but many gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, 4, it talks about that there's a differentiating of spirit, a differentiating of gifts, but one spirit. And that goes right along with we all have different jobs, we all have different things that we're good at, but it's the Holy Spirit that gives us all of those things. And the next one there is that there's one way, but many options. And what I mean by that is that the one way is the right way. So you may have a different job or a different office or a different gift, but there's only one right way to use that, and that's to do it for God's glory. But there's many options. What I mean by that is God, you'll have a lot of opportunities to use your gift, but not for God's glory. Well, you know, I think right away of music. There's a lot of musically talented people. I think of Daniel, who's, God bless his soul, is teaching me piano, and I'm trying. I am. But 
you know, you know, obviously very musically talented. There's a lot of people in our church who are musically talented. You know, they could go out and they could play music for the world and maybe make money or whatever it may be. But that wouldn't be using their talents for God. And that, you know, we praise God that they are using it for God. But what do I mean by that? Well, there's one way, but there's many options. So maybe you're good at, you know, helping somebody or counseling or giving good advice. Or maybe you're good at just sitting down and talking to somebody. Or maybe you're, you're good with, you know, finances or money and you want to help somebody with that. Well, there's different gifts that God may have given you, but we have to use that for God and use it the right way. So service experience, and then this is the point that we're really going to focus on. As you can see, it's longer than the other ones, but is service, service exemplified. So the Bible says in Romans 12, like we're talking tonight, is that it's our reasonable service to follow God. You know, and I don't have to belay that point. You know, this, you know, it's Wednesday night and you're here maybe after a long day at work and you want to hear from God and that's a great thing, but... You know, we have to serve God. So what does service actually look like? Well, if you look at verse 9, it says, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. So first, obviously, I see that there's love. You know, love ought to be the number one thing that people can describe you by. It, it ought to be the thing that sets us apart as Christians, the fact that we love one another. And not only that, but the crazy thing is that we love our enemies. You know, there's a lot, the, the very divided situation in our lives right now and whatever, you know, a lot of different situations that are just dividing. Even churches, different people saying, oh, well, I don't want to come to church because of the COVID or I do and whatever it may be. Well, it doesn't matter. Why? Because we should love our enemies. And I think of just social media or people who like to hide behind, a, you know, their their social media and like argue with people. And, you know, sometimes I find myself getting wrapped up and I say, you know what, I'm just going to be as loving as I possibly can be. And that's the reality is we as Christians should be the ones who are loving, whether it's our friends or our enemies. The Bible says in John 13, 35, he says, Jesus said, this is how people are going to know that you're my disciple if you have love one for another. And do people look at you and say, wow, you're a very loving person? Or do people say, wow, that person, there's something different about them? Well, it ought to be that something's different about you because you love God and you love other people. Love is the most important commandment. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Let's look at Matthew chapter 22. Obviously, my personal opinion doesn't matter too much, but I personally believe that these are some of the most powerful verses in the Bible. In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37, Jesus says, He says, Master, which is the greatest commandment? Now the Pharisees were trying to trick him like they always do. But Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. The first and the great commandment. It wasn't first like, oh, this is the first one I'm going to give you. No, it was first and great. Like it's the most important commandment is that if you love God with all your heart. But he said the second, it's like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two hang commandment, uh, these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So why can Jesus make such an extensive statement that all the law hang on these two commandments? Why? Because if you love God and you love people like you're supposed to, you'll just live like you're supposed to. Well, think about it. If you love that, that person that maybe you're having an argument with and, and you love God and you love that person, well, you're not going to act the wrong way. Or maybe, or you know, whether it's a, a situation with your spouse, you're not going to act the wrong way that you shouldn't. Why? If you love them like you should, you know, you're not going to, whatever it may be, fill in the blank, if you love God or if you love other people. 
and think of the Ten Commandments. The first few commandments are about loving God, and the, the rest of the commandments are about God and people. So the reality is, is that if you love God like you're supposed to, and if you love people like you're supposed to, you'll be a different Christian. It'll be your reasonable service. So there's love. It's the most important commandment. Love is the foundation of the law. Look with me in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 14. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 14. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 14 says, For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And we see that Paul even uh, repeats himself there, or repeats uh, Matthew's, that all the law is fulfilled in one word, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So it's the foundation of the law. Also, love prefers one another. If you look in, back in Romans chapter 12 in our text, it says in verse 10, it says, Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. And when I think of this, this idea of preferring one another, obviously we're talking about our reasonable service. You know, it's a reasonable thing for you to prefer other people above yourself. Now, in your own mind, you may think, well, that's not very reasonable. I, I'd rather prefer myself. Well, I would too, but the reality is, is that we need to follow God's leading in our life, and that's our reasonable service is to prefer one another. If you look in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, we won't turn there, but it's, it's the, the, the love chapter, as we all know, and it talks about how that uh, you know, charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up, and it talks about how uh, we should prefer one another in love. So your next point there, if you flip your page over is uh, service exemplified, and then we have love, and then next we have laziness. Now, this isn't a good thing. This is not what you should be doing, but it was an L and it worked. So laziness is something that we should not be doing. If you uh, follow me with these points, it says in verse 11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. When I think of that word fervent, I think of somebody who's just on fire for God. Somebody that no matter what's going on, no matter what kind of day they're having, they're just so excited to be following God. They're just so excited to be on fire for God and just every day's a good day because, you know, they're walking with God and they're talking with God. And the reality is that's so true. In my own life, I know when, when I can get up early and I pray and I talk to God that no matter what I face in that day, I'm like, you know what? God is going to get me through it. And that's how we should live our life. There's no better way to live the Christian life than on fire for God to be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And you say, well, maybe you're not in full-time ministry, or maybe, as I mentioned before, maybe you're excited to get back into your ministry in the next coming months or however many it takes, but not slothful in business. You know, that really means that whatever you're doing, you should do it wholeheartedly. The Bible says, you know, whatever your hand finds to do, do with all thy might. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher or a plumber or a carpenter, whatever it may be. God wants you to work hard at no matter what you do. So laziness. First, we need to see that we need to serve God passionately. They're talking about being uh, fervent in spirit. Serve God passionately. God is not interested in you know, someone who's you know, not super passionate about serving him. God says that he wants us to you know, take up our cross and follow him. He didn't say, all right, take up your pillow, and when you get tired, just take a nap and just forget about me. And then, you know, if you really think about me, you can pray again. No, God wants somebody who's wholeheartedly, passionately following him. You know, Jesus gave up his life for you. The least we can do is live for him. So be passionately following after God. Serve God passionately, but serve God purposefully. 
Serve God purposefully. You know, be intentional. Intentional. Be intentional about following after God. Be intentional, intentional about your service for God. So serve God purposefully and serve God patiently. It says there in verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. You know, you may be in your life right now saying, I'm going through tribulation. I'm going through a trial. I'm going through something that I don't really know how to deal with. Maybe you're watching on live stream and you're dealing with health issues. Well, the reality is that God wants you to be patient. God may be teaching us patience during this time or maybe teaching you patience uh, during your trial. The Bible says serve God patiently. I think of, I think it was this past Sunday we talked about Isaiah 40 and, you know, those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They didn't say those who, you know, get ahead of God and do whatever they want and you'll still renew your strength. No, they said those that wait on the Lord will renew your strength. And you say, Anthony, well, how long do I have to wait? I've just been waiting and waiting. God still hasn't showed up. Well, God will show up. You just have to keep waiting in his timing. So wait, uh, serve God patiently. And then lastly under there is serve God prayerfully. It says continuing instant in prayer. Have you stopped continuing in prayer? I mean, tonight, not, not last week, not last year. Last year's over. Praise the Lord for that. But this year, are you going to continue instant in prayer? You say, Anthony, I had a rough year last year. We'll join the club. What, what, what's going to make this year a great year is having a great prayer life. And what's going to make this year a great year is continuing instant in prayer. As uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing. You know, I wanted that right above. I still want it. I wanted it right above my, uh, my bookshelf in my office. Now, I didn't know this, but somebody bought me a little plaque that says, you know, um, pray without ceasing is great. Now it's in my office. But the reality is that that's some of the most important things that we can learn as a Christian is to pray without ceasing. Because the minute you stop praying is the minute you stop serving God. The minute you stop praying is the minute you're going to backslide. Because prayer is the most spiritual thing you can do as a Christian. And the number one thing that Christians don't do, unfortunately, is pray. And the reality is, is that we as Christians need to pray more, especially in these times. The Bible says, you know, so much the more as you see the day approaching. That talk isn't specifically talking about prayer and that, that passage, but it's true that the more trials come, the more we should go to God because God has the answer for those problems. So serve God prayerfully. Now we know we preach a whole message on prayer, but I'm going to keep going. Laziness, and then next we have liberality. You would have asked me what that meant yesterday. I wouldn't be able to tell you. But it's talking about giving and giving liberally. The Bible says in James 1.5 that if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not. It means if you ask God for wisdom, he's going to give it to you abundantly. So if you look at this verse in 13, it says distributing to the necessity of the saints given to hospitality. So what does that mean? Be a very giving person. You know, it doesn't matter you know, what you have in this life. Now, obviously, we should be good with our money. We know that. But the reality is, is that, you know, we can't take anything with us. We can't take our wealth with us. We can't take our 401ks with us or whatever it may be. You know, we have to be giving people. Now, there's, we know there's a fine line between faith and foolishness, and we have to have a balance with that. But be giving. Be generous. You know, if God lays it on your heart to be a blessing to someone, be a blessing to somebody. So be, be giving, be generous, and then thirdly under that is to be genuine. So don't give saying, oh, man, I hope they give back to me. I, re I remember, I forget who told me, but someone told me that 
that they were at, they had their wedding and they got a lot you know they got a lot of good presents from their wedding and they said oh man you know what they say they say you have to give the same gift that you got from that family I was like oh well nobody told me that but the, the, they were, it was in their head they're thinking oh great now I have to give another big present to them but the reality is that what we should give genuinely we shouldn't we should give and never expect in return I remember I think it was uh, one of my professors at college used to say you know don't ever give something away that you want back. Because then you didn't give it genuinely. Now, obviously, you say, hey, you want to borrow a pencil, whatever. But the reality is, if, if you give somebody a gift, say, hey, I'm going to loan you 20 bucks. No, just give it to them. Just, just be generous and be genuine and give it and be a giving person. So that's what verse 13 is talking about. Our reasonable service. We as Christians reasonably should, you know, be hospitable, be giving people. And then next we see is language. Bless them which persecute you, and bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. You know, you're, I remember when I was a kid, they used to say, your tongue is the most powerful muscle in your body. It's like, how is that possible? I'm at the gym, and I'm lifting you know, this however many pounds with my legs, and you're telling me my tongue is the most powerful? What they meant is that your tongue can change somebody's life. Is that just a word, just a saying, just a, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, can I, take, can I pray with you? Can I take you aside and talk to you? Whatever it may be, you can change somebody's life. You know, somebody changed your life when they witnessed to you, right? Exactly. So you can change somebody's life with just a word. You can witness to somebody and they can get saved and you can change your life. The tongue is very powerful. So words are powerful. We see that in, in James chapter 3. We're not going to go through all of James chapter 3, but we know the verses that the, the tongue is an unruly evil, and it's a kindling fire, and there's just so many amazing verses there that, that the tongue is so powerful. So use our tongues wisely. I think of family members, your spouse, your, your children, your grandchildren, whatever it may be. You know, you know, you can really hurt family members with words that you say but you can also really edify and lift up family members you know I think of I think of my mom there's just so many things that I remember about her just very nice kind words that I have notes of her just leading me in the right direction and just you know talking about the Lord and the reality is is you know you you can have that same impact on your loved ones why because they'll always remember it because of the love because of the relationship there so use your tongue for good you know words are powerful but also words are personal you see, in, uh, so it talks about bless with, uh, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. You know, somebody will always remember somebody who is rejoicing with you. Somebody, they'll always remember somebody who's praising God with you. I know in, in Bible, Bible college we had some chapels where, I mean, God just stepped in and people are raising their hands and they're shouting and they're praising God. And I always remember my, my best friend in college, it wasn't Haley, uh, a best friend in college, and he, he was always sitting next to me in chapel. And I just remember us having talks about God. I remember us praising and worshiping God together. But I also remember times that we, we've wept together. When, you know, when, when my family is going through trials and I would be up at 2 in the morning and I couldn't sleep and I was crying, he was right there with me. The reality is, is that words are personal, that, that, that you need to rejoice with people, but you, but you also need to weep with people. And we know that, that uh, Ecclesiastes talks about there's a time to rejoice and there's a time to weep and all of that. And that's the reality of life is don't just be there in the good times, but be there in the bad times for different people. And use your language, use your words. Why? It's your reasonable service. Just bring it all back to what it said in verse 12, that it is your reasonable service to use your, use your love, use your language, use your giving and your liberality for God. So lastly, service everyone. So we had service explained, service experience exemplified, and then service everyone. Well, what do I mean by that? In these next few verses, it's talking about really just getting along with people. 
verse 16, it says, Be of the same mind, one toward another, and mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceit. And it talks about, you know, not getting back at people. Recompense to no man, evil for evil. You know, two wrongs don't make a right. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. And then we're going to go right to this verse in verse 18. It says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. So A, it's just be mindful towards others. Put others first and put yourself in their shoes. You know, you have no idea what somebody's going through. You know, I think of in school and I have a student, maybe they're acting out and they don't usually act out or whatever it may be. And I think to myself, you know, I have no idea what that student is dealing with at home. I can't, you know, it's probably better for me to take them aside and say, hey, what's going on? Instead of yelling at them in front of the class. Now, there's some that may repeatedly act out and they do get yelled at in front of the class. But the reality is, is that you don't know what somebody's going through. So don't instantly judge people and, you know, get to know them first and ask them, you know, hey, what's going on? That may make more of a difference than just lashing out to somebody. So put them first, put yourself in their shoes and be vengeful towards no one. The Bible, Jesus says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. You know, the reality, it's the reality of life. Somebody is going to wrong you. Somebody is going to hurt you. Somebody's going to say something that hurts you. Somebody's going to do something, you know, say anything. That's very encouraging, I know. But the reality is that that's just part of life, that people are going to say things that you don't like. Well, it's not your job to get back at them. And no matter how good it may feel to get the last word in or whatever it may be, it's not our job to fight them, to get back at them. The Bible says, vengeance is mine. Uh, be vengeful towards no one. The verse says, you know, as much as lieth in you. Now, we like to take that verse to say, if it be possible, you know, oh, oh it's not possible. <laughs> I don't have to talk to that person anymore. I don't have to look at them anymore. No, what the Bible means when it says, as much as lieth in you, do everything you can to make things right. The reality is, is that you may, it doesn't just mean, you know, as much as lies in you, all right, I, I said I'm sorry. They, yeah, it's like the little kids, sorry, didn't mean it. And then they walk the other way. The reality is, is, you know, we have to do everything we possibly can to make things right. And if that person still says, no, I don't want to talk to you, blah, 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 whatever it may be, well, you did everything you possibly can to make things right. And then the Bible says to live peaceably. What that really means, what that means is just to live in harmony with, just to be able to get along with everybody. I always tell people, you don't have to be best friends with everybody. There's just going to be people that you don't get along with, that you, that you, don't, you, know, that you don't have the same interests, and you're not going to be best friends, but it doesn't mean you're not brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't mean that they shouldn't be treated just like you would treat your best friend. You know, it's the golden rule. Treat others how you would want to be treated. So there should never be dissension or division in the church because we're not doing all that we can to live in harmony. And then lastly, it's just love toward a uh, loving towards everybody it says therefore if thine enemy a hunger feed him if he thirsts give him drink for in doing so thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head but he not overcome of evil but overcome evil with good you say oh anthony i tried i tried i tried and they still don't want to you know reconcile now they're my enemy well the next verse has still got you you have to feed your enemy love your enemy give him drink so the reality is we as christians have to love everybody no matter who they are so in conclusion, we're talking about our reasonable service tonight, going through Romans 12, and I know there's a lot, but it was a lot of good stuff from Romans chapter 12, and reasonable service. First is reasonable service is done with a servant's heart. So how is your attitude towards service? We talked about in the beginning, you know, how you, how you, how you act when you're treated like a servant. The reality is, is that that's all we are. It's our reasonable service to do different things for God, and then reasonable service is done 
to the best of our ability <coughs> at every opportunity. And then third is reasonable service is done while imitating Christ. We went through a lot of different things and talking about loving one another and not being lazy and different things that we do and being giving and generous people and using our words. That's all under the realm of doing what Christ wants us to do, to imitating Christ. You know, God said in um, John 13, uh, Jesus said in John 13, 14, 15, that, you know, if I, your Lord and Master, have served you, ye ought also to serve one another. And I think I paraphrase that if you look it up. But the reality, that's when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. I mean, think about it. The God of the universe washing his own disciples' feet so we can do different things for other people. And then lastly, reasonable service is done to everyone. So no matter who it is, no matter how much they've, they've wronged you or you felt like maybe you wronged them and they just won't reconcile with you or maybe you feel like they're your enemy and you're just at division with them. Well, God wants you to love them and to serve them. Uh, let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for all you've done for us and I, I pray that you'd help me even, God, with this message just to, to understand that everything you ask me to do is reasonable. God, that anything, whether it's a difficult task or an easy task, it's, it's a reasonable service, God, to do it for you and your glory. God, I pray that you help this message to be a blessing to those here, and I pray you bless them to come into church and all those on live stream. God, I thank you for that and that we have the ability to do that. I pray you bless them, God, and thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.